This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Tonight on Global News Hour, dozens of flights delayed into YVR. What NAV Canada says is to blame, and is it a sign of more travel woes to come this summer? Plus... This act of violence was predictable, it was foreseen, and it is unacceptable. Outrage at the Indian consulate. Sikh protesters in Vancouver say the shooting death of Hardeep Singh Nidjar was a case of foreign interference. And then... It puts children, um, our learners, on a spectrum. Uh, it's a strength-based perspective. Reaction to changes coming for grade nine students as the province moves away from assessment through a grading system. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at six. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We had been warned that staffing shortages could impact our travel plans when it comes to catching a ferry. Now you can add the possibility of your flights being delayed because that's what's happening today at Vancouver International Airport. Travis Prasad joins us from YVR with details on numerous flights being delayed. And Travis, what's behind this all? Yeah, Julia, hectic travel day for many here at YVR. Looking at the uh, airport's online flight status tracker, it shows there are approximately 60 delayed arriving and departing flights combined. Many of those were scheduled for this morning and early afternoon. We were here earlier and we saw the baggage carousels were pretty quiet as people at arrivals patiently waited for their loved ones to land. Based on YVR's website, delays were anywhere from half an hour to almost three hours. Just before noon, YVR took to Twitter, urging travelers to check their flight statuses before coming to the airport because they were seeing delays with the air navigation system. Nav Canada is responsible for air traffic control at YVR, so we reached out to them and they told us they were short-staffed today due to unplanned absences. So because of this, they put in place what's called a temporary ground delay program. Some planes were kept from taking off on time and other flights were kept from landing on time. In a statement to Global News, Nav Canada said in part, ground delay programs help maintain safety and ensure that airspace and airport infrastructure do not get overwhelmed or gridlocked by managing the flow of arrivals to an airport. So YVR tweeted around 4.30 this afternoon that the issue with Nav Canada had been resolved and there could still possibly be delayed arriving flights as things bounce back to normal. Meanwhile, Nav Canada tells us their training program is at capacity and they're currently working on training 400 new employees. So we ask them, what about their existing employees? Do they have enough of them? And should travelers expect to see more delays like this because of their staffing shortages? But Nav Canada refused to answer either of those questions. Julie. All right, thank you, Travis. That's Travis Prasad reporting live for us tonight from YVR. 
Highway 4 from Port Alberni to the west coast of the island has partially reopened after it was closed earlier this month due to a wildfire. The road has reopened twice in less than 24 hours. And as Kristen Robinson reports, those living and working in the affected communities say they're cautiously optimistic about the return of tourism. Relief on the road to Port Alberni. It sucks and it's difficult, but I'm glad that we have people in charge that don't want to uh, put anyone at risk. Highway 4, the key route linking Tofino, Euclulet and Port Alberni with the rest of Vancouver Island, reopened early Saturday. The road was closed east of Port Alberni June 6 due to the Cameron Bluffs wildfire, which is now under control. Well, I feel like jumping up and down, it will be, you know, it's, and it kind of goes and coincides with the fishing, which is just fabulous right now. Orest Ivashko elated he can get his boat back in the water. The two-and-a-half-week highway closure, he says, cost him five $1,500 day charters, or 5% of his annual business. There has been nothing for us, so it's a little bit of a shock, but we uh, survived it. June, also a roller coaster for Twin City Brewing. The owner scrambling to secure goods, then adjusting hours to avoid layoffs. The impact of single-lane alternating traffic still unclear. I'm hoping it doesn't scare people off. It's a great time of the year to come visit the West Coast. We were stoked that it opened early. Highway 4 initially reopened Friday but was closed hours later. High winds meant the large cranes and wire mesh put up to prevent charred debris from falling on the highway had to be lowered leaving nothing to catch the debris. After an overnight closure, traffic now flowing again. In Tofino, which saw a 70 to 85 percent drop in business during the start to its summer season, the district says visitors are already coming back. We feel pretty secure in the fact that they'll do everything they can, that if they do temporarily close it, they'll be able to able to open it quickly. As inconvenient as it is to have to, you know, have a sudden closure, especially the first day, rather have that sudden closure than see somebody get hurt. A detour on an industrial logging road will remain open until Highway 4 fully reopens by what is expected to be mid-July. Kristen Robinson, Global News. Quick action by a volunteer fire department helped contain a new fire on Vancouver Island. The fire was discovered around 5 o'clock last night near the village of Extension, south of Nanaimo. Smoke was rising above the forest just behind the fire department, and the flames were being fanned by the wind, pushing toward the village. The volunteer fire brigade responded with a tender and bush truck, and as a result, the fire is not expected to grow beyond its current boundaries very difficult. It was uh, some steep slopes and some uh, some dead dead full trees in there and um, a lot of a lot of dry moss, uh, arbutus type stuff. So it was def definitely a tough terrain to fight. We couldn't get our apparatuses right up, so we had to deploy three or four hundred feet of line. Hundreds protested outside the Consulate General of India office in downtown Vancouver today, nearly a week after the president of a Suri Gurdwara was shot and killed in an attack that police believe was targeted. As Paul Johnson reports, demonstrators allege foreign interference may have been behind the homicide of Hardeep Singh Nijar. Stomping on the flag of India and hoisting the banner of the Khalistan movement up to the windows of the Indian consulate in Vancouver. 
Hundreds of Sikhs from around the Lower Mainland Saturday made it clear who they think is responsible for the murder of one of their own. We unquestionably believe that India has engaged in an act of violence on Canadian territory. Hardeep Singh Nijar was gunned down in the parking lot of Surrey's Guru Nanak Sikh Gurdwara last weekend. While no arrests have been made, police believe it was a targeted killing. Rally organizer Jatinder Singh Gruel told us while he has no actual evidence, the circumstances surrounding his friend's murder cut a trail of suspicion leading straight to New Delhi. He advised me quite clearly that he had no enemies, he had no disputes or quarrels with anybody else other than his activities for Khalistan. We tried to contact the Indian consulate for response Saturday, but didn't hear back from them. This heinous crime happened at the place of worship and the emotions in the community are very high. Member of Parliament Sukh Dhaliwal said it's hard to say who's likely to blame for the murder, but he brought the issue of potential foreign involvement up with Public Safety Minister Marco Mendocino, and he's confident the proper steps are being taken. Our law enforcement agencies and our intelligence agencies, I have a total confidence in them and they will bring it to the justice and they will do the best to bring the truth out. Well, Dhaliwal says his government is doing everything possible to fight any foreign interference in Canada. These demonstrators say it's real and ongoing and has happened in the form of murder. Paul Johnson, Global News. The Integrated Homicide Investigation Team has identified a seashell man as the victim of Thursday's shooting on the Sunshine Coast. Gregory Roy Sullivan was found with gunshot wounds outside a home in the 8,000 block of Birch Way in Half Moon Bay just after 3.30 a.m. Despite life-saving attempts, the 56-year-old died. Two suspects were taken into custody at the scene. No charges have been laid. Investigators are not releasing a photo of Sullivan, but are asking anyone who recently interacted with him to contact them as they build a timeline leading up to the homicide. BC's Premier says the province's representative for children and youth will be reviewing a case of two Fraser Valley foster parents convicted of manslaughter and aggravated assault in the horrific abuse of two vulnerable children in their care, one of whom died. And a warning, this report contains disturbing details. The husband and wife, Indigenous foster parents, were sentenced to 10 years in prison for the horrendous treatment of two vulnerable children, also Indigenous. The crimes were committed in Lake Eric between 2020 and 2021. The judge called the actions of the accused evil and inhumane. The children were starved and forced to eat dog food, tortured and subject to slapping, punching, kicking and whipping assaults. Evidence heard in court indicated the Ministry of Children and Family Development hadn't checked on the children for seven months. Days after an attack in late February 2021, the boy died. This is a, a profoundly disturbing case for British Columbians. I mean, you've got a couple innocent kids and uh, who were profoundly uh, injured here. And uh, I can't speak in detail about the case because of privacy laws, but I think I can safely say, given the court record, that the criminals who are posing as foster parents here um, uh, deserve uh, what the court will uh, sentence them to. And the uh, uh, Ministry of Children and Family 
uh, will continue to do their work to improve and to ensure that no other child faces this kind of situation. Earlier this week, the minister told Global News the provincial director of child welfare conducted a thorough review of the MCFD's involvement with the foster children and found not all policies were followed at its HOPE office. Changes have now been implemented to ensure ministry procedures and practice to protect children are being followed. It's voting day in B.C. Two by-elections are being held today, one on Vancouver Island and the other in Vancouver. The Boys and Girls Club office on St. George's Street being used as a polling station for voters in Vancouver, Mount Pleasant to cast ballots for a new MLA after Cabinet Minister Melanie Mark resigned. And in Langford, Wanda Fuca, a handful of voters seen casting ballots at a local elementary school this afternoon. This was former B.C. Premier John Horgan's riding, who also departed from the legislature earlier this year. And with less than two hours until the polling stations close, Richard Zisman joins us now on what should be, what we should be rather looking for in tonight's results. Richard? Voter turnout, Julie, will be important here. By-elections historically have low voter turnout, but there's been a relatively steady flow here and throughout the day. Uh, those watching this closely tell me they expect that turnout will be a little bit higher than expected, but obviously lower than what we see in a general election. Also, what to watch here clearly are the parties. The BC NDP holds both of these seats. They have historically been safe seats for the NDP, and they're clearly looking to hang on. Let's have a close look at the candidates in Lankford, Wanda Fuca. The NDP candidate in the riding is Ravi Parmar. Camille Curry is running for the BC Greens. Alina Lawson uh, for BC United. And Mike Harris is running for the Conservatives. And I've certainly made the case to people here uh, all throughout this constituency that I can carry on the legacy that John Horgan uh, has left us. I've heard from a lot of people in the community that they're just ready to vote differently. And so I'm incredibly excited to see tonight what that means for people here. We need our voice of the community heard again and let's fight for families and our community. And let's have a look at who's on the ballot in Vancouver, Mount Pleasant, as voters have a little less than two hours to vote. Joan Phillip is the NDP candidate, Wendy Hako the Green, Jackie Lee for BC is the Conservative candidate. Both these ridings last election did not have Conservative candidates and they are going to be key to watch here as well, Julie. And the other part of all this, this is the first time BC United has been running instead of BC Liberal. We'll see how they perform tonight in the by-election as well. All right. Thank you so much for this, Richard. The search for two missing hikers on Hollyburn Mountain had a happy ending. Well, they did the right thing. Once they knew they were lost, they knew they should call and just stay put. Members of North Shore Rescue headed out on foot Saturday morning to locate the lost pair. The two women were able to use a cell phone to contact NSR with their whereabouts. The women were brought to safety not long afterward. Somehow I get off the trail accidentally and we was looking uh, for a come down same same way we went up but something went wrong nsr says the pair were lucky to get out as the cell phone reception down the hollyburn trail is almost non-existent 
And NSR keeping busy with another rescue when they were notified about a person in distress at the ninth marker of the BCMC trail. A brother and sister went to go for a hike with their dog when the pup became exhausted, suffering heat exhaustion, refusing to move any further. The man tried to carry the 125-pound dog to safety, but he became too weak and exhausted. That's when his sister called for help. We responded mostly to help the subject, uh, the, the person, because he's going to hurt himself. He is struggling with the dog and he's in distress. So we got there and sure enough, the dog <laughs> wouldn't move. Uh, we brought up a small stretcher, we brought up a harness, uh, tried to put the dog on the stretcher, which strangely enough turned into a motivation for the dog because it really did not want to be strapped to a stretcher. So suddenly, uh, the stretcher became a motivation device and the dog started to walk downhill. Rescuers are reminding you to be mindful of heat and the risks of dehydration for animals on those trails. Coming up on Global News Hour, replacing grades with a proficiency scale. Reaction to BC schools expanding the evaluation system to grade nine, what parents need to know. And later, learning more about the death of Gino Ojik and how head injuries probably cut his life short when the news hour continues. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Some BC parents are giving the education ministry a failing grade this week. That's after the province announced what they call a proficiency scale instead of letter grades on report cards will be expanded to include grade nine students. As Negar Moshtahedi reports, proponents believe it's a more modern approach to updating a student's progress, while opponents are concerned it fails to prepare children for the future. I really feel like as if a passion inside of me is um, fading out. Grade seven student Keon Shapwals is appalled with the province's move. What was once a pilot program is now applying to all BC public schools, scrapping letter grades from kindergarten to grade nine. I've had a hard time transferring between the two due to the, how vague the proficiency scale is. It seems very subjective. A very upset concern. Kian's mother, Mahda Buzadi, says a proficiency scale of assessment only encourages mediocrity and puts her children's education at risk. The system does not allow for a child's talent to be recognized. The way it's designed, I feel that it puts all kids in the middle. It's definitely time for change. Uh, letter grades are were a vestige of, of an industrial society. Faculty of Education professor at the University of British Columbia and elementary school grade teacher Dr. Victor Brar says the shift is part of an evolution in learning. It's a strength-based perspective where everyone is on the spectrum. Um, they're at different points on the spectrum, but nonetheless, they're on the spectrum. There's been a lot of attention online. Parents reacting to the news that only students in grades 10, 11, and 12 will receive letter grades and percentages. Instead of grades, students will be assessed as emerging, developing, proficient, and extending. 
We do not want to label our kids. We do not want a kid to be known as a B kid or C kid. Where I struggle to understand is that how is, let's say, developing or proficiency or extending is any different? While the case for and against grades is up for debate, school districts across BC are moving to the new system, for better or worse. Nagar Moshehedi, Global News. A Westside charity providing a supportive and nurturing environment for families celebrated 50 years today. The Westside Family Place marked the occasion with an open house for past and present members. The milestone celebrated with cake, games and food. In attendance for the festivities were special guests, Premier David Eby and Sandy Rogan, the mother of actor Seth Rogan, who used to attend Westside Family Place with her son Seth and his sister Dania in the 1980s. I was very, very young and at home by myself. I had no clue what I was doing. And I walked in the room and met other mothers who maybe they didn't know what they were doing either, but at least we could talk to each other. And it was a room full of people who were in the exact same position as me. And it was amazing. We're living at a time when social isolation and loneliness are at epidemic levels. Parenting can be an incredibly stressful time. And so to create space for families to come together, to get support, to meet one another, and to give their children an opportunity to engage in play-based learning is really important. The community organization was founded as a result of social activism in Kitsilano during the 1970s. Still to come on the news hour, the latest on the coup against Vladimir Putin and what's next for the Wagner Group and its rebel leader as a mutiny is thwarted for now. Plus, the latest on the Titan submersible investigation as the Polar Prince returned to St. John's today when we come back. Now to high drama in Russia today, the Wagner mercenary group who have been fighting for Russia in Ukraine had occupied a major Russian city today and were heading toward Moscow in the biggest ever threat to Vladimir Putin's leadership. But in the end, the controversial mercenary leader backed down. Redmond Shannon reports. Panic and commotion on the streets. But this is not Ukraine. It's Rostov-on-Don, one of southern Russia's largest cities, used as a hub for coordinating the invasion of Ukraine. Russia's Wagner mercenary group took control of its streets overnight. Other Wagner troops, meanwhile, barreled north toward Moscow. Wagner's leader, Yevgeny Prigozhin, said it is not a coup to replace President Vladimir Putin, but the country's military commanders. Prigozhin has been at loggerheads with Russia's defense minister, Sergei Shoigu, for months, demanding more support for his men on the battlefield. This rebellion launched after he alleged Russian armed forces killed some of his troops in an airstrike. As Wagner convoys approached, tight security around the Kremlin in Moscow, the mayor cancelling public events and asking people not to go outside. Putin vowed punishment for what he called an armed mutiny, comparing it to the revolution that toppled Russia's monarchy a century ago. But then, as the Wagner troops got closer to Moscow, news of a deal. Prigozhin said he was turning his men around. The literal U-turn apparently brokered by Putin ally and Belarusian president Alexander Lukashenko. 
And it appears as though Belarus will be Prigozhin's new home. The Kremlin says he will move there as part of the deal and criminal charges against him will reportedly be dropped. In addition, Moscow says Wagner fighters who took part in the rebellion will also not face prosecution and can now join the Russian armed forces if they wish. Redmond Shannon, Global News, London. Two parallel investigations are underway into the deaths of five people last weekend on a dive to the wreck of the Titanic. The ship that launched the ill-fated trip last Sunday is now back in port in St. John's, Newfoundland. As Mike Armstrong explains, the ship was met by investigators eager to speak to the people who were involved. The Polar Prince pulled into the harbour here in St. John's around 8 a.m. On board, 17 crew members and 24 passengers, including several family members of the men who were lost. The ship docked behind the Canadian Coast Guard building and was met by Transportation Safety Board investigators. So good afternoon. TSB Chair uh, Kathy morning, Fox says none of the passengers or crew were detained, but there were interviews and there will likely be follow-ups. Now, Fox says the TSB's mandate is to look at what went wrong and why. The U.S. National Transportation Safety Board is also investigating the fate of the Titan. Well, Fox says they will be parallel investigations. They'll cooperate, but be independent. We are conducting a safety investigation in Canada, given that this was a Canadian flagged vessel that departed a Canadian port and was involved in this occurrence, albeit in international waters. Good afternoon. Now, there will also be another investigation. The RCMP says deaths at sea fall under its mandate. It's conducting a preliminary investigation to determine if a crime may have been committed. That would then trigger a full criminal investigation. Our mandate is to look at the deaths and determine if anything contributed to their deaths that may lead us down a criminal path. One of the things each investigation will look at is the Voyage Data Recorder. A ship like the Polar Prince is required to have one. It records voices on the bridge. Another potentially important piece of evidence was towed behind another ship, the sled that launched the Titan sub. Now those investigations will basically have to cooperate. Some of the evidence is now here in St. John's, while others, the pieces picked up off the ocean floor will be taken by the Coast Guard back to the U.S. Mike Armstrong, Global News, St. John's. In Health Matters, UBC researchers are looking into a biodegradable gel that shows promise for cartilage regeneration. Researchers say the gel combines both stiffness and toughness and is part of work to create biodegradable implants for joint injuries damage to articulate. Cartilage found in knee or hip joints can cause pain, reduce function, or lead to arthritis, with current protein-based cartilage implants being too soft to resemble the real thing. But they say more testing is needed before any human trials. Still to come on Global News Hour, no rain in the Okanagan. What it could mean for the region's ecosystem if the dire lack of precipitation continues when we come back. You're watching Global BC. The province issuing a warning about drought conditions across BC. In the Okanagan, it's at a drought two level, meaning if it doesn't get a decent amount of rain soon, there could be major effects on the ecosystem and the wildfire season. Victoria Famia reports. 
It might not be as severe as it was in 2021, but the Okanagan is in a drought, and that lack of water is affecting everything from wildlife to wildfires. Making sure that there is enough water for the food crops in the fall and the fish that are returning to our streams, and of course, ensuring that there's enough for firefighting. The BC government recently moved the Okanagan to a level two drought, meaning the valley is very dry. It's the result of an extremely warm spring that the region hasn't recovered from. A level two drought isn't expected to severely impact the environment. However, the Okanagan Basin Water Board says that could quickly change if the valley doesn't get enough rain. And if it does get to the point of a severe drought, it could be extremely damaging. Obviously, the lower the temp, lower the level of water, the warmer it gets, which is lethal to fish. So there needs to be enough in the creeks for the for fish and the greater ecosystem. So um, now is a really good time to think about how much water we're using on our landscape. It does take a sustained amount of rain to change uh, like a fire danger rating or to have any impact on an actual wildfire. So things can dry out quite quickly. So just be dependent on if we're seeing hot temperatures that also are resulting in a low relative humidity percentage as well. Even with the Okanagan being in a level two drought, fire danger ratings aren't a cause for serious concern heading into July. Fire danger rating is currently low to moderate, so that is quite favorable uh, at this time of year. So it'll, again, just with what we will see um, if we do have any of drying trends occurring or if we're seeing any dry lightning. According to global meteorologist Yvonne Schell, some rain is in the forecast, but conditions will likely remain dry. But in the coming days, it'll still be warm and dry, 24 and up to 30 degrees for daytime highs and dry into early next week. In 2021, the Okanagan hit a level four drought and it ended up being one of the worst wildfire seasons on record in the Kamloops Fire Center. Victoria Femia, Global News, Kelowna. A section of Highway 97 plagued by landslides in the South Okanagan will undergo another temporary closure this weekend. The closure will happen just south of Summerland in both directions tomorrow night from 7 to 8 p.m. It comes just days after that same section was closed for an hour on Thursday afternoon for blasting. According to the road maintenance contractor, the closure is to complete remedial slide works. The Ministry of Transportation says it hopes to have two-way traffic restored by the end of next week and the project completed by mid-July. Well, Yvonne is here and kind of a dreary start to the day. And then what? And then some sunshine and some breaks. Thanks, Julie. It's nice to have you back. Our first uh, weekend of summer, and it is going to improve, especially for the latter half, and temperatures are on the rise. First off, here's a weather picture of what it looks like from our tower cam from the Wall Center Hotel. We've got some cloud cover, but there have been some breaks depending on where you are. And we're currently sitting at 19 with the southeasterly wind at 15 kilometers per hour. More of a clearing is on the way overnight and taking us into Towards tomorrow, by the afternoon, we'll rebound. A mainly sunny sky, it'll 
warm up into the low 20s away from the water closer to 25 and the humidex making it feel like 29 degrees. Lots of instability this evening and the active weather is into the northeastern corners of the province. We've been tracking thunderstorms and right now we do have a severe thunderstorm warning that is in effect. We'll see that line of thunderstorms. Now this is a slow moving system and the big concern we're seeing that lightning popping up. We can see that right now. We're also seeing very heavy rain. The potential for hail is there and gusty winds. This should start to ease off late this evening or as we get in towards the evening hours. But right now we are looking at a warning in effect. Severe thunderstorm watch for the Okanagan Valley with the line of thunderstorms also passing across the region. We should see it in towards uh, Kelowna, the central Okanagan, and then it'll also dissipate as well. So those are the areas of concern that we are seeing some active weather at this hour. A reminder with the dry conditions, especially in the coming days, we do have the fire danger rating sitting at high to extreme. The northern tip of Vancouver Island is included within that and with no precipitation or a significant amount for the interior, I anticipate that this will start to bump up in the coming days. Precipitation is going to move in once again. The areas of concern for the northeastern corners, well as the central and southern half are mostly in towards the southern interior tomorrow, will give us that risk of a thunderstorm popping up for the afternoon and early evening and then a nice break on the way but warming up in towards our Monday. Northern half of the province inland, Smithers up to 27 degrees, that risk of a thunderstorm for the beat piece. Central interior with a mix of sun and cloud and then all areas into the southern interior, even extending in towards Whistler. We are going to see that instability, risk of a thunderstorm, but then warming up into the upper 20s. Victoria tomorrow up to 22 degrees. The lower mainland, if you're away from the water, it's going to feel warm. Humidex up to 29 into early next week so far. Monday, one of the warmest days, and then actually quite pleasant. Julie, Tuesday onwards, we're underneath a mix of sun and cloud and a high up to 23. Back to you. All right. Thank you, Yvonne. The 35th annual Dragon Boat Festival got underway this morning with more than 6,000 paddlers in attendance. The two-day event will feature more than 200 teams from around the world, along with entertainment and food vendors. Vancouver's Dragon Boat Festival is one of the biggest events of its kind in the world. A cake-cutting ceremony is scheduled for this afternoon, commemorating 35 years of the very popular festival. It's post-COVID now, and as you can see from behind, we uh, have an event that's the biggest and best event this year come down and we have a celebrating with the 35th anniversary cake we have fantastic entertainment food vendors um, races uh, entertainment a drawing contest from concorp civic that will be uh, fantastic and new so come check it out the festival continues from 10 a.m to 5 p.m tomorrow Barry is here now, and have either of you ever done the dragon boats? No, I, no one will take me. I've asked. <laughs> oh, uh, I highly just, doubt they that. They pass, they say, listen, uh, maybe not. I'm not so strong on the water. It's so tough. I, like, I go under. Have you done it? No, I think it looks tough, so I feel uh, like I would probably just sit there and, and maybe cheer people on, but yeah, that's probably not I'm, I'm contributing I'm more for the festival, much. the yeah. food truck, that yeah. thing. Yeah. Okay. Well, I did it once 20 years ago and never <laughs> again. Oh, never? Oh, okay, no, well, there we go. It was a lot of work. See, thank you for doing that for us. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, we got a little sports coming up. You know, the uh, there was an NHL trade today involving a uh, local BC boy, not a Canuck, but it could start the dominoes with the NHL uh, draft next week in Nashville. This is kind of the start of those times where we see some deals. So we'll tell you all about that. And uh, Vanny and the Whitecaps in L.A. to take on LAFC, a team that has uh, outscored them 6-0 in two games this year. But Vanny is still positive. Does that sound like him? 
It does. So he we'll, is so positive. We'll hear from he's Vanny. Fine. He's fun. Yeah. Uh, he's the greatest. So <laughs> anytime we can hear from Vanny, we do, and we will. Awesome. Thanks so much, Barry. Well, coming up on Global News Hour, looking closer at the death of former Canuck Gino Ojik. We talked to his best friend about how repetitive head injuries had an impact on one of the toughest hockey players in the sport when we come back. Former Vancouver Canuck Gino Ojik was just 52 years old when he died earlier this year. The beloved enforcer was known for playing hockey with his fists, and now his best friend is giving insights to our Jay Janauer into Ojik's last few months. Plus, the likelihood he had chronic traumatic encephalopathy or CTE. It was uh, probably about a few weeks ago is when we found out that, uh, uh, that there's a good chance he probably had CTE. Uh, he went for some testing uh, about a few weeks before he passed, um, but uh, sort of got to understand kind of what brought that on. Now coming up in sports, the countdown is on to the NHL draft, and there are some interesting moves, including the acquisition of Port Moody's Ryan Johansson from the Nashville Predators, where he's off to when we come back. Head to Rogers Arena for Sam Smith. Don't miss the multi-platinum Grammy Award-winning artist and songwriter as they bring the glory of the tour to Rogers Arena August 22nd. Be there and enjoy an amazing performance with special guest Jesse Reyes. Be there for Ain't Too Proud, The Life and Times of the Temptations, an electrifying musical that follows the Temptations' extraordinary journey from the streets of Detroit to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. For RBC, I'm Michael Newman. Global BC Community Hub. Promote your event, build your community. Global BC Community Hub, bringing your worlds together. Our apologies for the technical difficulties. Back to our interview about former Vancouver Canuck, Gino Ojek. It was uh, probably about a few weeks ago is when we found out that, uh, uh, that there's a good chance he probably had CTE. Uh, he went for some testing uh, about a few weeks before he passed. Um, but uh, sort of got to understand kind of what brought that on was, um, you know, the whole issue that uh, the pain that he was uh, experiencing and uh, major headaches and things like that. Um, uh, he would uh, probably just to help with that pain, he would take, um, you know, Percocets uh, to uh, bring sort of, you know, uh, comfort to him as much as possible. and. Um, you know, he'd be taking about five, six a day just to maintain. I mean, he was in that much pain, uh, especially with the headaches. And uh, the doctors were trying to sort of, you know, he'd have to, you know, sort of struggle with him month after month just to renew his prescriptions because they were wanting him to eventually try to come off the perks. And uh, uh, I mean, he was trying to explain why he really needed them and the importance of it because of, uh, you know, the pain that he was suffering. And that's kind of what brought on the tests uh, prior to his death. And um, we were been, you know, from a health standpoint, we were so focused on his legs and his heart. Mm -hmm. You know, we kind of all forgot about, uh, you know, these, these tests, you know, especially after he passed. And uh, it was just brought to our attention a few weeks ago. And, uh, you know, not just with the, uh, the issue of CTE, but uh, the possibility that uh, he could have had almost uh, full-on Alzheimer's in three years, you know. I mean, that's that's hard to take. It really is. It's um, um, 
knowing that uh, he may not even remember me in, in three years' time or any of his children or, the, you know, the rest of the family and fans, you know. So it was, you know, that's, uh, that's been tough for the last uh, week or so anyway, and especially uh, discussing it with, uh, you know, his uh, you know, sister and some of his kids. So, I mean, I think the, the significance uh, of mental health, um, I mean, we'd like everybody to, you know, look into it more, educate themselves more, you know, because um, I know Gino, he wouldn't want people to honestly feel sorry for him. You know, he'd want people to kind of understand, you know, what he endured, understand that, uh, yes, there are certain things that happened in the game and that, uh, um, you know, there, there are some consequences. And Barry is here with sports and such a loss even when you mm -hmm. think back. Yeah, and just the fact he had to, to separately ask too bad. I mean, like I said, yeah, Dino's not gonna, going to complain, but he, he smiled through a lot of pain, so we definitely feel for him and his uh, family. All right, we're going to move on and talk a little bit of uh, hockey as well. Speaking of Gino, thanks very much. Uh, four days until the NHL draft where we expect uh, there will be some big trades made. Maybe the Canucks, although I doubt that. Today, Port Moody's Ryan Johansson was sent to Colorado for Alex Galchenyuk. Johansson has not put up great numbers since signing an eight-year, $64 million contract with Nashville back in 2017. His high points kind of in the 50 to 60 point range, but he'll be 31 next month and coming off a down year in Nashville. Just 12 goals and 28 points in 55 games. Nashville does retain $4 million of Johansson's $8 million salary for the final two years of the deal, but he's got the size. He is good on face-offs, gritty player who can score. I think he'll be a good fit there. He'll be a second-line center replacing captain Gabe Landeskog, who will not play at all next season due to ongoing knee problems. After having their game in Colorado postponed due to stormy weather, the Whitecaps will try again tonight in Los Angeles. Luckily, it never rains in California, if you believe the song. Whitecaps will have their hands full with Western Conference leading LAFC, a team that has already thrashed the Whitecaps twice this season with a pair of 3-0 wins in Champions League playoffs. It's a good thing, I think, that we play with them in, in, the, in the Champions League because we've seen both how they can hurt us, but how can we hurt them. So I think that we, we have to be uh, ready to go and we don't have to be scared. I think it's a place, uh, uh, BMO Stadium, that uh, if you go there and uh, you, you're scared and you just try to defend, then you play in your box for 90 minutes and then the end you lose with the quality that they have. So we need to, I think we need to be as aggressive and as offensive as we can and even, I would say, the lineup that I have in mind will uh, will feature a lot of offensive players. CFL tonight, Stampeders and Rough Riders from Calgary. Both teams one and one the young season. Third quarter, Stamps down 10-6, but Jake Mara hits uh, Malik Henry over the middle. One slick move followed by the dash for cash. 52-yard touchdown, 13-10 Stamps. But on the final play of the third quarter, Trevor Harris of the Rough Riders will connect with Tevin Jones, and he too has got clear sailing. He takes this one all the way to the end zone, a 44-yard score, 17-13 Riders. Fourth quarter, Stamps driving to regain the lead, but Mara's pass is deflected and then kicked up in the air by Riders DB C.J. Revis and then picked off. Very fortunate bounces for the Riders, and right now they lead at 23-20.
and they are in the fourth quarter. Saskatchewan trying to get a road uh, win in Calgary. 23-20 is the update there. PGA stop is in Hartford, Connecticut for the Travelers Championship. Players have been picking this course apart. Today it was Ricky Fowler. Started the day 10 shots off the lead, but he made up some ground. This is a chip-in eagle to get him to 9-under on the day. Now after another birdie, Fowler had this chance on 18 for a 59 on the par 70 course, but just chips it by. Still a career low 10 under 60. Ricky moves up 37 spots. He's in fourth place. Canadian Corey Connors, the only Canuck to make the weekend. Adam Svensson uh, did not make the cut, uh, but Connors makes the eagle putt at 13, and he is at 13 under, and he is tied for 12th. Keegan Bradley is a New Englander from Vermont, so this is like a home game for him, and he's been in contention all week. Beautiful tee shot on the par, 316th to five feet. Made the birdie there, 664 today. Uh, that's his worst round of the week. That's how good he's been. He leads at 21 under par, one shot better than Ches Reeve. And we'll finish off with a little baseball. Blue Jays taking on the Oakland A's, the worst team in baseball, although Oakland beat Toronto last night in an upset. But in the third, Danny Jansen will go deep, a two-run homer. That's his 10th of the season. Jays lead 5-2. Vladimir Guerrero Jr., if you can believe it, hit his first homer of the season at home last night. Today he did it again. Big blast to center for Vladdy, now up to 11. Big flies on the year, 7-3 Jays, and then Canada's own Jordan Romano in to close it out. Gets the strikeout here with the fans on their feet, and that's his major league-leading 23rd save as the Blue Jays win at 7-3, they're 42-36. and 36. Despite, I don't think, playing that well yet this year, their offense has been a little bit in the doldrums. They're only a half game out of the playoffs, so lots of time left for them. Well, fingers crossed. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Barry. Well, still to come on the News Hour, catching a wave, not just for two legs, but now for our four-legged friends when we come back. Some of the finest and fur furriest surfers are hitting the beach today in California to show off their skills. He loves it. He gets so excited when he sees the beach clothes coming out and the surfboards. He starts running around and barking and getting super stoked. He's definitely a surfer. He was born to surf. The 26th annual Purina Dog Challenge is a two-day event where canine competitors show off their talents. Some of the challenges include surfing, freestyle disc flying, and dock diving. The event is free to spectators and wraps up today at Huntington Beach Park. Good for them. It's hilarious. I guess they have a little more balance. They do have four down instead of two, like, yes, like that's us true. humans. Yeah, kind of cheating. Right. Yeah, yeah exa saying? exactly. Any dog could do that. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks so much for being with us. Have a good night.